Hey, welcome to the Chess Experience. On this show, it's all about helping adult improvers. I want to make learning chess easier for you to navigate, and I also want you to have a more fun experience along the way. I'm your host, Daniel Lona, a fellow chess amateur. Let's get to it. This show is sponsored by Chess.com, the world's largest chess community. And there's a really exciting and new release from Chess.com that I've enjoyed using. It's called Classroom. This feature allows you to easily go over a game live with a friend or a club member that you just played. And you can do so interactively on the board with both of you on video talking to each other. It's also a great way to have a lesson between a student and a coach. And you can check that out on chess.com slash classroom. Welcome to this week's episode. We're going to discuss some of the most challenging psychological barriers in chess and how to at least lessen their impact, maybe even overcome them. To help me figure this out, my guest this week is one of the brightest stars in the chess coaching and teaching world, international master Yuri Krikun. Yuri was born and raised in Ukraine. There, he began a 10-year, very successful, competitive chess career at age 13. He's played approximately 1,000 rated classical tournament games. Pretty impressive, right? When it was time to attend college, he moved to St. Louis, which could easily be called the chess capital of the United States. Yuri has earned an impressive USCF rating of 2,500, just a few points higher than mine, <laughs> and earned his IM title in 2020. Yuri's a chess coach and the author of five openings courses on Chessable, all of them highly reviewed. He's also a contributor of content and courses to chess.com, and I can attest to his excellence as he's one of the two coaches that I currently work with, and I've purchased his course, The Dynamic Italian Game, and it's phenomenal. Here's my discussion with Yuri. Welcome, Yuri. Uh, it's exciting to have you on the podcast. How are you today? Um, I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about this subject of overcoming psychological barriers in chess. Um, obviously, you know, Yuri, you have tremendous knowledge on the game itself in terms of, you know, openings, end game, middle game strategy, all that stuff. So this is interesting to tap into another side of your knowledge, I think, which is the psychological aspects of chess. And uh, I, I don't know if maybe people appreciate well enough uh, how much experience you probably have in that, um, you know, from, from your entire chess career. So this will be fun to talk about that side with you. I'm going to start with one of my favorite topics, which is the, the emotions that go with losing a chess game. Uh, and, and for me, you know, I'm someone who spends a lot of time on classical compared to, say, Blitz or, or Rapid. Um, and for me, when I, when I lose a classical game, that's like the emotions for that are most challenging when it's, when it's been a two, three, four hour game and, and it ends in a loss. And I can get down on myself a bit when that happens. And, you know, with someone like you, Yuri, who's had that much experience with tournament, uh, tournament games, uh, I'm sure you're no stranger to the feelings, uh, that I'm talking about. And I imagine along the way, you kind of have to come up with some strategies or, or, uh, ideas on how to kind of soften the blow of of losing a game so what what have what's helped you over the years dealing with that 
Yeah, so I think that first of all, it is definitely fair to say that probably you, you know, feel most emotions doing any kind of activity when this activity is new to you rather than when you've done it already for a long time. So certainly mm. I think my emotions were the sharpest when I just, you know, started competing. I think both because of that reason and also because I was just much younger and a lot less mature. So generally I think that, uh, you know, one of the things probably a lot of people feel and I was feeling the same way as well. I was mostly, um, you know, disturbed and, you know, anxious and upset with myself when I would lose a winning position. I think it goes without saying yeah. how devastating that could be. But on the other hand, you know, I think I realized pretty quickly, even though maybe not as quickly as I would have liked to, that really losses are just an inevitable part of this. And I think you need to keep in mind that you know, if you get outplayed positionally, well, that's a learning experience. And generally you can't, if you think of your, you know, of course, if you have an important tournament and if you lose an important game and then the tournament does not go the way you want, well, that's, you know, heartbreaking maybe at at the very, you know, heat of the moment. But I think if you think of what's going to happen to your chess in, say, two years or five years, then I think it's inevitable that if you play, say, 500 games, you lose maybe 200 of them or 150. And I think you, you'd better just make sure that, uh, you know, you see it as a part of a journey. Of course, it's much harder to deal <coughs> with a situation where you were a queen up and then blundered to checkmate in the loop. <laughs> you know, if you compete with strong opponents, which should be your objective, and if you're facing a lot of people who are more experienced than you are, then yeah, you'll you'll be losing a lot of games. But I think that, you know, a really good part of being, and to be honest, I was, you know, extremely anxious, I think, about my performance as a kid. Uh, I wasn't taking it easy. But I think the very bright side of this really is that when you feel very emotional about something, something likely it's because you care a lot. And when you care a lot, it's a lot easier, you know, with all this passion to study and, you know, put put a ton of effort in and make progress, right? Rather than when you're not, you know, particularly disturbed. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, that's encouraging to me and hopefully to a lot of people listening to this that that the, uh, the, the, the emotions that, that you feel, the negative emotions you feel when you lose a game, particularly if it was uh, an important game or a longer game in some way, those are more potent in the early stages of your chess career, so to speak, than they are later. Um, I just want to follow up with for you on this. Like right now, like if you if you competed in a tournament and you lost a game, uh, let's say maybe not necessarily in the first minute or two, because I don't know. I just feel like that stings for everybody in the, the immediate aftermath. But like you know, in 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 the hours following, uh, what, what would you tell yourself now in a game? Well, you know, there is to deviate a little bit from this. I think I've read a quote in Russian, I'm sorry for a bit of coughing, I read a quote in Russian, I don't remember who said that, that uh, career of a chess player is divided into two stages. The first one is when you know you'll become the world champion, and the second one is when you know you wouldn't. So, you know, I think that at, at some point, I started taking myself a little less seriously, not meaning mm -hmm. that I wasn't trying, right, but that I realized that, well, this is something that I was doing with a lot of passion, a lot of effort, but also probably, you know, not something you know, absolutely life-defining for me. So <clears throat> I was supposed to have fun with it. And, yeah. you know, now I think primarily what I would look at, I really don't like, you know, the feeling of knowing that something was done wrong in advance. Let's say I should have prepared, but I didn't. Or for example, I knew the position was drawn and I should have taken a draw, but I didn't and I overpushed. Well, in those cases, I can definitely find a lot of, you know, bad words for myself. But <laughs> at the same time, I think that, yeah, once you get a lot of games under your belt, you realize, well, if you've done everything right, you know, if the process was right, if you feel you've prepared the best you could and you were, you know, well, well rested the best you could and, you know, you just did everything you could and there was no, there were no 
you know, conditions that define your loss in advance, right, that you could have easily avoided, then I think it's not really taken that painfully. Even so, obviously, if the game was important, if, say, you know, it's a decisive game for, a, you know, Grandmaster or International Master Norm or, you know, say, you know, you lose and the team you're playing for does not qualify somewhere, then, yeah, of course, it's more upsetting. But I think... <coughs> by, you know, on a larger scale, it just somehow does not feel as sharp anymore. To me, at least personally, really it's all about the effort. I mean, if I know the effort has been put in and I couldn't really have done better, you know, while preparing, then I'm reasonably not upset. But if I know that something was done, which you should not have done, you know, you stayed up late, you slept for hours, and then you played tired, well, that could have easily been avoided. And then I would be definitely very angry with myself. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So that, that I think you had like two great points there. One is just um, the perspective of if you're not chasing a world title, um, maybe it's not the end of the world if you lose a game. <laughs> and uh, and the second thing you mentioned was um, just trying to keep some perspective if you've put in your best effort that, you know, maybe just even with your best effort, you're not going to win them all and maybe not beat yourself up if you gave it the best shot that you could. Does that sound right? Yes, absolutely. And plus, remember, chess is about, <coughs> to a large extent, well, we all want, we all want to feel like we're playing pretty well or better than you know previously. But I think it's you know undoubt, undoubtedly for most players, let's say their rating growth is very indicative of whether they're actually really getting better or not. Right? All of us like the idea of seeing our rating graph go, go up over the course of the years. But you need to keep in mind that you know, let's say if you play a hundred tournament games, right? The you know. Standard DV, I mean, the expected result, you know, compared to the amount of work you've put in will be very predictable. If you play one game, even if you study it, you know, 10 hours a day for half a year, you could still lose it with one bad move. And then you would not be able to tell that you worked hard. But if you play 100 games, and if you're really putting the, you know, effort in, it should be obvious your rating will be going up. And you need to keep in mind that, let's say if you want to increase your rating by, say, 100 points a year, really all you need to do is just to score, for example, for most people, you know, say five points over what you're expected. So let's say with, you know, opponents of your strength, and your rating, say, score 55 points out of 100. It doesn't have to be 99 or 87. And mm. so I think it's important to realize that over the long period of time, if you do put the effort in, everything will be good. And really, <coughs> it's not difficult at all to increase your rating once your strength is there. You know, if you take a grandmaster and give him an online chess account with a rating of 800, well, it'll be 2,800 in, you know, uh, 30 games, right? So <laughs> right. this is not really a problem. And so I think you need to keep in mind to always kind of zoom out when in doubt a little bit. So ask yourself, okay, where was my rating a year ago? Or what about two years ago? Do I feel like I'm making the right steps? And if that's the case, if you think <coughs> your long-term strategy is correct, then yes, there will be some slight bumps on the way. And yes, they're very irritating. We all know that. But again, in the long run, in a year where are you gonna be yeah yeah that, that's that's a fantastic perspective I, I haven't even thought of it that way exactly but you know putting the numbers on it like that it's really insightful i just want to talk a little bit about tournaments and um i'm an advocate or and i should be more specific over the board tournaments um even even in my uh renewed beginning period <laughs> right now with chess um I, I've I've done a good number of them. I've done six uh, in about six months, and um, it's I, I've gotten so much out of them that I, I I try as much as possible to be an advocate for it for for uh, other adult improvers because I think I think they're really beneficial. Even if they don't go nearly as often as me, I still think just an occasional tournament has a lot of positive benefits. 
but that said, as much fun as they are, they can be stressful, particularly, I think, for people who are new to over the board tournaments or it's, you know, it's either their very first one or they're, they're within their first five or so tournaments of, of their of, over the board tournaments of their life. Um, Yuri, I'm sure you've had clients in that in that place. Um, wh- what do you tell your clients if they're if they're nervous about their first or first several tournaments? You know, any kind of, I think, first experience doing something for the first time, not chess or whatever, is, you know, something that causes us a little bit of anxiety. But to be honest, I feel like most people are really looking, you know, forward to it with a positive outlook, especially if you talk about the adult improvers. You know, most people who are adults understand, hey, we're playing chess for fun. We're doing our best. But, you know, that's not the end of the world, right? If we lose a game or two, even though I understand that while people do get anxious, I certainly (laughs) used to get incredibly anxious before. I remember even, say, traveling to my first tournament out of town and you know we went say two days in advance and i just literally couldn't get my thoughts off the idea of playing chess even for a second all my mind was preoccupied with is what's going to happen when i play chess 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 there is no stopping to it well i think that you know you need to keep in mind that likely if you choose let's say the rating category where you play and it's reasonable you're going to play the exact same opponents as you play online one thing Mm -hmm. that i think you can do as a preparation and i highly recommend doing this to a lot more people especially in in, you know current age where technology and online learning is accelerating is to keep in mind that you play chess on the board and i think that studying chess on the board and maybe playing some casual games with friends if possible over the board rather than online makes it a much more personal experience and i think Mm -hmm. prepares you really well because I feel like online, a lot of people, they generally, I think the difference between over the board and online chess is that over the board, it becomes a lot more real. You take it a lot more seriously. You see a real person in front of you and well, you need to beat this person, hopefully. And you see that all the people who come to play an over the board event, they really put the effort in and they really try their best. And, you know, you'll have to play a certain number of games in advance. So I think that what's really helpful is to imitate the situation. And actually that's something I hope we're not deviating too far from the question, but I feel like one of the problems people experience when they study chess and they play online and then they play a tournament is that there's very little in common. For example, you know, you play online, there's no concept of scarcity. You play as many or as few games as you want. You play a game and then what? Maybe you stop or maybe you play 20 in a row because you just can't help it and you can't stop. So I think what's really helpful is to, even while, you know, not for anxiety reasons, but just for, I think, some, you know, developing responsibility and playing, taking it more seriously, to tell in advance, to tell yourself in advance when you're sitting down to play online, how many games will you play? For example, your average tournament is four. Well, say, I'm going to play four rapid games right now, straight in a row with 10-minute breaks, because that's how a tournament goes, right? You play a game, mm-hmm. there's a break, another another game. You cannot quit after one. You cannot, if you lose in the game number four, get frustrated and play four more trying to get it back. You just need to stick to some kind of, you know, schedule and uh, have some kind of discipline so that you'll be able to later, you know, recreate in, in tournament settings. I think that's very important. That's great advice. I've never heard that before, but I think it's fantastic. And um, that's a great point you brought up, Yuri, about the difference um, between the experience of playing online chess and only online chess and then suddenly going into over the board. I really hadn't thought about that, but I can see now, as you mentioned it, why if you're only used to online chess, that it can it can enhance the, the stress or anxiety someone might feel in their first couple of tournaments because it's so different. Um, so I think I think your your advice to to play some over the board before your tournament is is really great. Um, I haven't heard that before, but I think I think that makes total sense. And um, I, I think yeah. to, to add. <coughs> 
<coughs> to add a slight no note to it, I think what you might notice, maybe you have noticed it yourself as well, I think the amount of resistance people put in in losing positions goes up tremendously while playing over the board because just think of how does this process go? You know, for most adults, really, it's a big commitment, right, to play an event over the weekend. You need to put all of your other things aside, maybe travel somewhere. You're committing to spending your entire day there. Well, if you lose a piece on move six, you know, and then, you know, there are three more hours until the next game, you don't really feel like resigning, right, and then wasting all this time. And so a lot of people, they would just keep playing over the board. They'll keep trying to come up with the, you know, most amount of resources they can. Now, when it comes to an online game, a lot of people just get frustrated, click the resign button and start a new one. And so I think it's really important to understand this. And when you're playing online, try to recreate it from both, you know, perspectives. When you're losing, try to imagine that this game is not just one of, you know, the countless games you can play, but try to get in this, you know, mindset of scarcity. You got four games today only, and you want to do your best within four. And so you really got to put as much effort in as you can, even if you don't like the position, even if it did not go your way, even if you are tired, etc. And then on the other hand, on the winning side, you need to keep in mind that likely the resistance your opponent will, will put up over the board will be, you know, more significant. I think that's something good to keep in mind. Yeah, that's that's a great additional point. Uh, let's uh, let's move into the subject of confidence as a chess player. And that can go either way, right? That, um, as you alluded to earlier and before we uh, did this interview, Yuri, which is that you can have too much confidence, you can have too little confidence. Uh, as a chess player. So let's talk about the first one, which you have maybe too much confidence. What tends to cause that? And how do you how do you deal with it? How do you try to alleviate an overconfidence problem? Yeah, so I think both clearly come from, you know, derived from our personalities. I think that chess, I think that Alakine said that, that chess, you know, illustrates your personality and its, you know, strengths and flaws extremely clearly. And I think that both generally come from the way, you know, people, from people, from, you know, players' outlook on life overall. But I think that one piece of advice that can actually really help both the overconfident people and people who lack confidence is this. So what I've seen a lot, for example, let's say my student would play a game and then maybe they could capture a pawn and it looks like it's a free pawn. Well, a lot of people, you know, they just take it without any thinking and they say, hey, free pawn. Well, essentially, oftentimes it, it falls. Maybe there's a trap or maybe the opponent's playing a gambit, right? And yeah. on the other hand, there's a lot of people I know who would unfortunately automatically reject the idea of taking something because they think, oh, well, that's a trap. My opponent knows something I don't. I'm in trouble. I cannot afford that. It cannot be this easy, right? I have to, I have to not do this. <laughs> and, you know, the thought of, of the idea that the opponent is just a human being who is not very good or maybe overall or at this very moment they made a mistake and you can, you know, take advantage of that is something they reject very quickly. Again, both come obviously from the way their personalities are. And I think that in both cases, it's very important to keep in mind that your opponent has the rating he has for a reason. Let's say if you're rated 1600 and so is your opponent. Now, obviously, likely you have some knowledge which is not connected. Maybe you are much better at calculation. He is much better at, you know, opening preparation or whatnot. But by and large, your chess ability is very close to, you know, close to the same level. And so it's important to keep in mind that, okay, first of all, don't assume your opponent is an idiot. And if you're setting up a trap, for example, and you see a refutation, well, you should make an assumption he might see it too, because remember, his level is identical to yours. If you can see it, then he can see it too. Maybe he wouldn't, but likely he can. So don't count on your opponent making a mistake that you understand is an obvious mistake. And then the other... 
on the other hand of this, if you lack confidence, you can also remind yourself, well, my opponent is not better than me. We're roughly of identical strength. So if I'm really putting the effort in and I think this looks like a good move, but I'm afraid there's a trap, well, let's just play it and see what happens. Why is it that he has to be seeing so much more and I need to be mm. so scared? And maybe, I mean, the worst things that can happen to you is that you are wrong and really he was seeing something you weren't and yet then you would lose a game. But again, that's fine because you've put your best effort in so I think the, you know, important kind of thing is to just keep the, you know, healthy mental balance between realizing your opponent is not, you know, perfect. And if you, you know, whatever you think of your own chess ability and strengths, you can likely, you know, think of his and that would not be incorrect. But secondly, it's important to realize that your opponent is not that bad. And so you shouldn't be expecting an easy win, a blunder, him falling for a trap you're seeing can be refuted, etc. So I think treat just treat your opponents, you know, ability and treats you know estimate your opponent to make roughly comparable moves to yours overall and of course if it's a 100 or 200 point difference i think this still applies to a large extent Mm, interesting yeah that makes a lot of sense so basically you know you want to go into it with the assumption that that they see what you see right so they're probably not going to see much more than what you see and they're probably not going to see much less than what you see exactly Yeah, and obviously in some cases, you know, they would see much more or much less. But overall, again, you need to think of chess as of something, okay, that's a little, I understand, that's a little, you know, maybe too scientific. But you need to think of, you know, your chess performances of something statistical, right? I mean, you just put your best effort in. And again, in, you know, 10 or 20 or 100 or 1,000 games, there will be some predictable result. But who knows, maybe this particular move you'll blunder or he'll blunder. You know, that's that's, that's possible, that's normal. But overall, you just need to, to understand your opponents will not do much better much worse than you will so yeah there's no need to be too scared or instead too confident i mean and i think that you know people will still be to a large extent right you cannot change someone's personality in one minute but i think that as we just talk through it this way if a lot of people think this way a bit more they might uh, you know maybe gravitate back towards the you know happy middle so to speak yeah yeah absolutely um what kind of mindset should you have when you're facing a higher rated opponent? And let me add one little thing to that, which is because maybe I'm inserting too much of my own chess life experience into this. I know a lot of people listening haven't gone to tournaments uh, necessarily like I have. But, um, you know, what's common here in the U.S. is there's a lot of tournaments that are available where there's just a, a reserve and open section. And, you know, the, the reserve section is just under 1800. So whether you're 900 or you're 1700, you're thrown into that pool. And I've been there. And, you, you know, if, if you're on the lower end of that spectrum, you can end up facing a lot of people who are higher rated. Um, and, you know, maybe people just choose to play some higher rated people online as well. So I think it can happen in that context, too. And when you're facing somebody, you know, significantly higher, which at least in my mind is like over 200 points higher than you, um, you know, what, what, what's the right mindset for, for something like that? Because I think people can tend to play differently when that happens. Yeah. So I think, first of all, you know, let me just uh, bring an example from my experience. And that's something I strongly advise against whenever possible. I realize it's not always possible, depending on your area. But I used to play many open tournaments where, for example, being 2000 rated, one round I would face a 1500 rated opponent and then I would win and then face a grandmaster and then I have no chance (laughs) and then I lose and then another 1500. And then out of eight rounds, this would go on for six or eight. And then I'll get only one or three games versus people who are reasonably comparable. And I think this is very bad. You're not learning much. 
And, you know, it's not even about your rating or, you know, what you gain or what you lose. But I think that generally the best piece of advice, if possible, you're best off playing people who are between your strengths and let's say 100 or 150 points better. I mean, you could go a little further, right? You need to learn how to beat people, say, 200 points lower rated and play people two, 300 points higher rated. But generally speaking, you know, say you're rated 1600 and your opponents are 14 to 18. I think that's very sensible. Now, you need to keep in mind also, again, I hope I don't go too far with this, you know, statistical approach, right? But generally, a 200-point rating difference means you should score about 7.5 out of 10. So it is not that good for the weaker weaker player, but also not that bad, you know? It's not 10 out of 10, right? So that's something. But generally, what I think is the biggest mistake is that a lot of people... First of all, they get intimidated in advance, and then they try playing for a draw. You know, they have an attack and they trade pieces. They trade pieces. Trading pieces is the most common, of course, thing to try to do. Overall, uh, you know, one interesting phrase I've heard, you know, how to determine who is a weaker player. Well, if you just watch a game, I can tell you for sure that a weaker player usually is the one to try to release the tension as soon as possible. They are not comfortable keeping the tension versus a stronger player, no matter what the position and who actually benefits from that. So generally what you need to understand, okay, you know, you don't need to get too frustrated in advance and think, oh my God, I'm going (laughs) to lose. I have no chance. But generally, you know, I think it's important to realize even if your opponent is better, you know, if, okay, if he is a thousand points better then maybe I'm not sure what to recommend, but, you know, just enjoy your time. But if let's say 300 points, it's still a comparable player. He might be better, but it's still a normal for you human being who you can absolutely beat. And generally your best chance is if you just play the way you're used to playing. If you like attacking, then try attacking. If you like endgames, then try an endgame. But generally, if you try to orient your moves based on what's your opponent's strength, you're going to do a lot worse than you're supposed to. If you like attacking and you're afraid and you start now trading pieces, well, you will lose with a much higher probability, you know? And so generally, I think the biggest piece of advice is to try to play the way you're used to without much of a regard to the opponent's rating. But then on the other hand, I think this also goes, you know, back to lack or, you know, too much confidence. If your opponent is much worse, I think it's also important to keep playing the way you're comfortable. If you like, you know, end games, don't suddenly start attacking and sacrificing, thinking you would not win in an end game. You need to keep in mind you arrived at a certain point in your chess career and you already proved, you know, with your previous you know, tournaments and results that you have the ability to play at a certain level. So if your opponent's much weaker, you need to feel comfortable playing the type of positions you like. And if your opponent's much stronger, well, again, play the positions you enjoy and you'll have the best results. For example, you, I know you enjoy the Evans Gambit a lot. If your opponent's rated 500 points higher, sure, he might, you know, refute your sacrifices, but still, this is your best chance. You enjoy the rising positions. And most importantly, what you should think of is how can I take the most out of this experience not half a point or a point, but how can I learn a lot? And you'll learn a lot when you do something you can do again in the future. If you want to keep playing the Evans Gambit, well, then play it now. And if you lose because your opponent knew something very, you know, sneaky that you were unaware of, well, now you'll know it for the next game. But if you suddenly change, change your strategy and play something very dry and try to trade, and then you still end up, well, doing, you know, scoring whatever you scored, well, how can you use this knowledge for the future games? So really, you know, you did not contribute at all to your chess growth by acting this way. So I think it's very important to keep in mind that the best strategy really is just doing what you were supposed to do regardless. In fact, 
you know, on a, as a bit of a, you know, joke or kind of side, you know, anecdote, uh, some of my students who are <coughs> particularly, you know, vulnerable to the opponent's rating both ways, they get too confident or lack confidence. I just tell them to put a sticker on the screen in the part where the opponent's rating <laughs> is shown, you know, and just play, play the board. You know, don't play the opponent, don't play his rating, play the board. And if you think the right move is trading queens and do it. If you think the right move is not trading queens and don't do it. So I think it's very important to try to abstain as much as you possibly can from the, maybe not even personality of your opponent, but his rating. Mm, yeah, fantastic advice. Um, let's let's talk about the subject of being addicted to playing. <laughs> um, this is something that I've definitely seen as I've gotten more involved with the adult improver community. I've heard a number of people talk about this, uh, where you know they just they they love playing slash are addicted to it, and maybe now it's starting to compromise their development where they're not spending as much time developing their skills or studying. Uh, how do you encourage someone to balance their uh, chess uh, experience a little better so that they can still improve the way they want to. What I think is important when, for example, you teach an adult, or I mean, you are an adult who does any kind of activity, right? Is to just be honest with yourself. How much do you want to do this for fun? And how much do you want to do this because you want to get better? I honestly think that there is nothing wrong with playing chess with friends and not wanting to get better. I mean, you're having fun, you have a hobby. What's bad about that, right? So right. if someone has the understanding that, well, they want, you know, to spend their time in a fun way and they're, they, they would like to improve, but they don't really want to, you know, compromise on what they do. If all they enjoy is playing bullet or playing blitz and let them do it, you know, let's have a, you know, good life. Right. But then on yeah. the other hand, if a person has, and it's okay. Also, I think if you want, you know, to spend 70% of your time productively and 30, you just, you know, enjoy whatever doing, whatever it is that you are doing, maybe watching streams or maybe, uh, I don't know, whatever it is, not thinking that it would help you improve. It's just important to be honest with yourself and know whether whatever activity you're undertaking helps you or not. But then also, you know, one thing that I highly recommend, in my experience, what's especially frequent is that people just go on this kind of, you know, playing, you know, streak, you know, strike, and they can't stop. They would win, mm -hmm. especially when they lose. I lost a game, I need to win. I lost one more, now I definitely need to win. And then I opened my student's profile, boom, you know, played 23 rapid games, minus 120 rating points. This is super <laughs> common. And yeah. so that's why I think it is very beneficial, especially for people. It's not that difficult, you know, to observe who is subject to this and who is not for people who are really, you know, having a problem to give yourself a goal in advance. How many games will you play? Same as I said about preparing to the tournament. You can say, today I'll play four games and then I stop. Or you can say, today I will play until I lose a game and then I stop. And then look, I mean, if you are winning, right? Well, play 20 in advance, that's fine. At some point you'll lose probably, right? <laughs> or, well, we'll have a new Magnus Carlsen, that's okay too. So... Yeah. You know, I think it is important to have some kind of final goal when you start playing. And I understand that sometimes it could be a bit more than you wish at the moment. And again, if you want to not do that and just have fun, you know, that's okay. You just want to be aware of, well, the fact that having fun is what you're doing, you know, not maybe working on improvement. But I think it's really good to establish <coughs> some kind of objective and then play. You can say today, my goal is to play until maybe, you know, until I feel like I'm losing concentration, I'm not thinking hard. Or today, my goal is to play if you, uh, you know, get in time trouble all the time. You can say, I'll try to play chess today and my goal is to play reasonably fast. But once you start getting in time trouble, okay, enough. I'm done for today, I'll stop. 
no more. Or you can say, I'll play today only until I lose two games, for example. So I think some kind of goal, I mean, really, it's the simplest way to look at it is just say, I'll play four games today, or, you know, I'll play maybe two, two games now, and then I'll stop and I'll do something different. It's really the best, you know, is the easiest practice you can try to pursue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's the funny thing is, is I think there's all types in the chess community, people who, you know, anytime you identify a problem that, you know, a lot of people have in, in, in their chess journey, uh, there's another group that has the exact opposite problem. <laughs> and yeah, for sure. yeah, so to, to, to that point, um, the people who, you know, are in the category of wanting to improve and they're spending a lot of time studying uh, but maybe a little too much and they kind of shy away from playing. Maybe they get a little nervous about playing and they just feel a little more comfortable in the safe zone of studying. It's understandable because you don't have to worry about losing or losing rating points. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe they're aware that they're doing that, but they're still having a little trouble pulling themselves. Uh, well, not pulling themselves, but rather, you know, just diving into the pool of, of, of some more games so they can they can get that experience, too. How would you advise someone in that situation? I actually definitely, you know, can uh, relate to the situation a lot. And I think that what happened, you know, quite frequently, I would also do it. Some, I mean, as a, you know, serious professional player, you might not just have a good tournament for two months and then all you do is study. Or I've had many students who would, for example, study chess for three months very actively and not play a single game even online. And then what happens? Well, very naturally, when you play after not playing, you are rusty. And then you play some really bad moves. You, you might blunder. Even though your knowledge about chess is increasing, well, blundering a night in one move, you know, makes all of it irrelevant, right? And so I think it's important to, first of all, kind of be aware that, well, the longer you don't play, I mean, the more of a problem you're going to have. And at some point, you still probably want to start playing. So, you know, why not now? And then, of course, there are ways to, you know, for example, some people are very focused on their rating online. And I don't think it's a very, you know, kind of good strategy in the long run. I think it's good to abstain from it, you know, and focus on improvement. But I am aware that some people are still concerned, you know, that you can't, you know, makes them feel different. So in that case, for example, what you can do, let's say you have an account on chess.com and you really want to climb a new rating height, but now you have this new opening you want to practice and you are really lacking confidence. Well, make a new account on Liches, you know, and play some games from an account that you don't care for, where if you lose rating, it's all right. It's not the end of the world. And then maybe you can say you play on your, you know, serious account only when you feel that you're ready. And if not, then play on the other account and, you know, have more fun, right? And maybe worry a little bit less. So I think you need to understand what's exactly, you know, the person's fear. If they fear losing their rating, which a lot of people do, and it's totally understandable because rating, you know, to many people kind of represents, you know, their effort, right? And whether it's, you know, what they're doing is being justified or not. Well, in that case, you can say, okay, let's just, you know, have a different account and one you play seriously from and the other you don't or, you know, things of that kind, right? I think it's important to understand what exactly the person is, you know, fearing. But on the other hand, for example, I have several students right now. For example, I have a student who really, really enjoys studying chess. He loves reading, you know, solving puzzles, but he hasn't played a human opponent. He plays some bots, but he hasn't played human opponents, I think, in a few months already. And, you know, while maybe I would like him to play a little more to just see kind of where, you know, this work is leading, right? But, uh, you know, again, a person enjoys a certain activity and doesn't really crave the other. Well, that's fine. You know, we're all playing this game because we want to have fun and have a good time and enjoy ourselves. And if that's, you know, the way someone enjoys doing things, then let them be. Right, right. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Um yeah, I just kind of want to close, Yuri, with uh, just talking about what you offer in the chess world. Um, and specifically, uh, all the I mean, you offer several things, but one of them is your, all of the courses that you've created on Chessable. Um, 
and I, I've had experience with uh, with the the Evans Gambit, as we've mentioned, and I absolutely love it. I mean, you and I'm not just saying this. You for for a long, long time since almost the beginning of my my time using Chessable, you've been one of my favorite um, uh, authors on the platform, and that's true to this day. No matter how many more authors I experience, you are still one of my top. And and I think uh, there's a couple reasons for that, but uh, I think you do a fantastic job of teaching, uh, to amateurs actually, um, better, better than, than a lot. Uh, because, uh, I think your, your explanations are more detailed. And I also think that you cover some of the sidelines that are very common that amateurs would see. You cover moves that aren't just the grandmaster moves basically. <laughs> and I find that very, very helpful. And I think that sets your courses apart, uh, by quite a bit. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. And, and, uh, and I think you're, I believe if I'm accurate on this, you have five courses currently published on Chessable. And the newest one that you've released is One Night F3, The Reverse Queen's Indian. And I was just wondering if you could just talk about that course a little bit and uh, what inspired your creation of it. Yeah, so first of all, thank you very much for your words. I really appreciate it, of course. And, you know, it makes me very happy when people enjoy the writing because, well, that's why you write, right? So that people yeah. can enjoy the, you know, knowledge shared. So I think that, first of all, <clears throat> if you want, no matter what material you're studying, it could be some theoretical book or absolutely anything when you're, a, you know, a club player who has a little bit of time on their hands and want to do, you know, things most practically. What I highly recommend is not looking at the lines which grandmasters talk about while playing other grandmasters, but lines that your opponents are really about to play. And they don't have to be good. It's just, well, that's what your opponents currently do. So, for example, there are many tools like openingtree.com or on Liches, there is a Liches database which shows the average moves played by a certain category of players. For example, you can go to Liches and select what, you know, do people rated 1800 do this, do here in Blitz and Rapid games. You can exclude, say, Bullet or Classical, if that's what you want. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important to focus while studying on the moves you're most likely to see. Again, the question is not what is the best move. The question is what are the moves your opponents are likely to play? And that's what you might want to focus on. And that's exactly how you'll build, build a better understanding. Because if you learn something and then you never see it in a year, well, you forget it and you don't practice it. You don't have a chance to reflect much on it. It's useless to a large extent. And yeah. so what I tried to do in the latest course, I tried to you know pursue this idea of deviating from some very you know hard you know theoretical learning even more, and I think I've created a course which is the most concise wide repertoire on the entire platform. And my understanding is that well, to learn 200 variations is already hard enough, you know, and not <laughs> often necessary. So. And what I wanted to do, I wanted to focus on model games, which show middle game ideas. And I wanted to focus on the pawn structures, which typically arise. Because, of course, let's say in the Italian, you know, when you sacrifice three pawns, well, the pawn structure is not very important. You have to mate your opponent or lose with, with you know, your three pawns down. But in positions which are quiet, which are strategic, very often the game is, you know, shape and format and plans are defined based on the pawn structure you have. And so in this course, <coughs> I've spent a lot of time talking about the typical positions, positions with, let's say, an isolated pawn or hanging pawns or, you know, symmetry in the center where the central pawns are gone. And so I think that when you know some of the main guidelines in all these positions and you have them in half of your games, it does not matter what the name of the opening was at all. It could be Slav or King's Indian or Grunfeld. I don't care. You might even already forget what the opening was by move 12. That's fine. But as long as you have an understanding of what to do in typical positions, you will do much better. And most importantly, your chess will be actually improving a lot more 
<coughs> I think than as as if you were to just learn variations, you know, and not necessarily understand them as much. And so most of this course is actually about not theory, but over half, I think, about model games and bone structures. And that's the format I look forward to, uh, to be honest, keeping in all of my future courses. And in fact, I might, you know, let you on a little secret. I started working on one already. And uh, while I'm not going to say yet what it is about, I think the format <laughs> might be even enhanced. And I think this is a really good, in, in, in my experience, it's just the way all the students I've ever had understand and retain things best, you know? So that seems to have worked best so far. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I love that. I'm excited to hear that you're um, that you're creating another one. I can't wait to find out uh, what that'll be when, you know, when it's time to announce that. Well, for everyone listening, I, I couldn't recommend uh, Yuri's courses more highly. Uh, absolutely one of the best learning experiences you can have uh, in, in studying and opening. Um, and, and I'm, I have no doubt that's true across all of his courses. And so now there's just even one more to choose from, uh, to, to, to help you find a course from Yuri that will, that will best suit your style. And that's, uh, the new one is one night of three, the reversed Queens Indian. And, uh, Yuri, I just want to say thank you so much for being on this podcast episode. Um, everything you shared was just gold in my opinion, but that's no surprise because I know how good of a coach you are and how good of a teacher you are, um, on, on Chessable and in your courses. And, um, I hope one day I can have you back on, on the podcast. You're, you're just uh, a phenomenal source of wisdom and advice for, for chess players. Thank you so much again for all the kind words. I really appreciated our chat. And yeah, I hope that people will be able to make use of some of my suggestions. And again, many of them are not, you know, cut in stone or mandatory, just some of the things that I found throughout my career and my coaching career, which is already, you know, I mean, soon, soon going to be longer than my playing career. I've been teaching for, I think, already hmm. seven years or so. Uh, I started at about 16, 16 and a half, of course, much less seriously than, you know, right now when I do it full time. But in my experience, you know, all of the things just happen to help students acquire you know a better understanding of the game much faster so i think that yeah ho hopefully a, a lot of this advice will prove beneficial to the listeners and i would absolutely love to chat sometime in the future as well thank you so much again it's been a pleasure yeah thank you so much yuri uh, it's been great having you thank you again of course absolutely thanks for listening this has been a production of my business adult chess academy and that has a website with the same name if you want to look for it. You can also find me being way too active on Twitter by searching my username, Lona underscore chess. See you next week.